This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers. Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Libel Sternbach is here, Joe McKenzie, and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words to the wise on New Beginnings. And our program is underway right now. Joining us now is the Minnesota State Director for AARP, and I'll say it again, Minnesota. She is the esteemed State Director, Kathy McClear. And paid family and medical leave is really something that the AARP organization has addressed itself to for quite some time. Can you tell us what's going on right now at our state legislature and how the state is addressing itself to the needs of people who need this leave, who need paid family medical leave? Thanks for having me, Freddie. And I I think it's really important just to level set and talk about how important family caregivers are really to our entire long-term care system. Um, Those are the folks who are helping their loved ones live independently at home where they really want to be, you know, as they age. And without those unpaid family caregivers, those folks would be, you know, destined for for very expensive nursing home care or have to receive care in in an environment that they really um, would prefer not to be in. And we know that one in five Minnesotans age 45 or plus, uh, 45 or older, are currently providing that unpaid help to an adult relative or a friend. Well, that's a big number. And so uh, what are you calling on lawmakers to do? Yeah, so the paid family and medical leave, this is a really important issue. Um, you know, we're calling on lawmakers to pass that paid family medical leave program. It would provide up to 12 weeks of paid leave to care for a seriously ill family member. So it could be, you know, maybe it's someone who's having a baby or it could be someone who needs to care for their parents because they're having surgery. And we really believe that, uh, Individuals should not have to choose between getting a paycheck and providing that really important care for their loved ones. We're talking with Kathy McClear, the AARP Minnesota State Director. We're talking about paid family and medical leave. Can you talk about the workers who have to access paid family medical leave through their employers? Uh, How are they impacted? Yeah, well, right now, only 13% of workers in Minnesota have access to some sort of paid family and medical leave. So what happens then is when you have that loved one who is in need of care, you know, you're having to, uh, you know, make that choice between getting a paycheck or providing that care. We know that women in particular tend to be the primary caregivers, and they're having to choose to either take unpaid time off or they're having to, you know, duck out of the workforce, which, of course, uh, impacts their long-term earning capabilities. And so we really believe that a paid family leave program that's available to all workers in Minnesota um, is just so critical um, to addressing the needs of, of our older citizens here. At the outset of our conversation today, you talked about uh, the real importance of caregivers uh, to their families here in Minnesota. Uh, there are thousands. I've lost the number, uh, but that's really important to, I'll just say it this way, a large group of Minnesotans. Yeah, there are more than 640,000 unpaid family caregivers across the state who are providing that critical assistance to help their older parents or their spouses. Wow. And we know that that number is just going to go up as our demographics age. So what is the final thought that you'd like to leave for us today with regard to paid family medical leave and how can we all play a part? 
Yeah, folks can certainly learn more information about this really important issue at aarp.org forward slash MN advocacy. And if it's something that uh, you feel strongly about and you want to see happen here in Minnesota, call your lawmaker and let them know. All right. She is Kathy McClear, the state director for AARP Minnesota. We're talking about paid family medical leave and that email address once more, Kathy. Sure. AARP.org forward slash MN advocacy. All right. And you're listening to New Beginnings. It's time now to talk about your health. And I'm wondering if you wake up regularly with stiff muscles, creaky joints, or the general feeling that your body simply isn't as limber as it once was when you went to bed. The first thing to know is that you're not alone. Waking up with a tight body is almost a universal human experience that according to a physical therapist and assistant professor in the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Connecticut, Mary Claire Capetta says that it's quite common for it to happen every Every day, But while feeling stiff in the morning is normal and typically dissipates quickly, it's also uncomfortable while it lasts. Mary Claire says the good news is that there are a few tricks that we can use when you feel stiff and even before the feeling arises to help you get off to a faster start and relief even faster. Most of the time, that tight feeling when you wake up is a result of overnight changes to the lubrication in two different features of the body, the joints and the fascia. The fascia is a complex group of connective tissues that surround and support the muscles, soft tissue, organs, and bones. Think of the fascia as a fibrous web that wraps around and through muscle tissue to give it structure and stability. It forms multiple layers with a gel-like lubricant in between that allows the layers to slide and glide smoothly, which helps you to feel loose and limber. That according to Dr. Antonio Stecco, a fascial researcher and professor of rehabilitation medicine at New York University. In certain situations, like when your body temperature drops, when you've been still for an extended period of time, or when lactic acid builds up in the muscles and fascia during intense exercise, the lubricant becomes thicker and the layers of fascia can't glide as easily, leading to feelings of stiffness. When we sleep, many of those thickening situations occur. You're usually still for a long time, say eight hours, and your body temperature tends to drop. Your joints may also continue to feel stiff in the morning, in healthy joints, a thick fluid lubricates the space between the ends of our bones, which are capped with cartilage to help them to move freely and comfortably. Whenever we're still for a long period, like when we're sleeping, the cartilage sucks up the lubricant like a sponge, Capetta says, making our joints feel creaky. How can we feel better? The good news is that the remedy for stiffness in the morning, whether it's caused by your fascia or your joints, is the same. Movement. While we're still in bed and lying on our backs, start by doing a full body stretch like a cat or a dog does when they first wake up by extending your legs and arms wide in opposite directions. Then try pointing and flexing your toes or stretching just your arms and torso, mimicking the cliche, just woke up stretch. 
To bring fluid back into your joints, try gently bending and unbending your knees and elbows, rolling your wrists and your ankles, or gently nodding your head from side to side. If you still feel stiff once you've gotten out of bed, try marching in place, continuing to bend and rebend any joints that feel stiff, Capetta says. If your back and the sides of your body feel tight, you could try a gentle stretch like a loose Forward hang toward your toes with slightly bent knees or side bends in cat-cow yoga poses. Studies suggest that a regular yoga practice can be effective in reducing discomfort associated with joint and muscle stiffness and chronic back pain. Do whatever feels good for you. If you have a dog, taking it out first thing in the morning might get your body juices flowing and help you feel more nimble more quickly. If it's a cold morning, try a hot shower. While it's healthy and normal to feel a little tight after a night of stillness, you might feel even more tight if your baseline flexibility is already limited. You can lessen this by staying limber and maintaining an active lifestyle in general. If you don't already stretch regularly, adding even 15 minutes of stretching to any day part can help you to feel less stiff when you wake up. If you sit in front of the computer for work, try moving around and changing positions throughout the day. All of this information is just enough to make you lose your hair. Can you hear that? It's the sound of our hair follicles closing up shop. Stress, whether from a significant life event such as a divorce, job loss, or illness, can wreak havoc on our noggins. Dr. Maria Sharon, a dermatologist at Vanguard Skin Specialist in Colorado Springs, has seen a noticeable uptick in visits from people experiencing a temporary hair loss caused by stress that pushes hair roots into the resting state. She says it's one of those things that can be triggered by physical exercise, like being hospitalized or certain medications or losing a lot of weight, but also illness or the loss of a family member or personal stressors Anything that affects the body medically or psychologically can induce a type of hair loss. But she says you won't know it's happening until about three months after the fact due to the three-part hair cycle. The antigen phase, which is the growth phase, can last two to eight years and refers to about 85 to 90 percent of our hair. Catagen, transition shedding, is the two to three week when hair follicles shrink. Telogen, which is resting, lasts for about two to four months, and at the end, the hair falls out. Dr. Sharon says everybody's growth phase is different. That's why some people can grow their hair longer. Typical hair loss is about 100 to 150 hairs per day, but you'll be the best judge of what's happening on your own head. And if you do ascertain something abnormal is happening, what can be done about it? Well, first, Stop stressing about it, which can cause more hair loss. The second step, sadly, there is no second step except to wait it out. The situation can resolve itself once the stressor is removed from the equation. Nothing has been scientifically proven to make a huge impact on the process, she says, though sometimes she suggests topical applications of minoxidil, which is generic for Rogaine. It might switch hairs into the growth phase, but she says most of the time, hair loss will stop on its own. And if a stressor can't be removed, you can find ways to manage the stress, such as therapy, medication, or even exercise. Above all, it might help to know that dermatologists across the United States are seeing an increase in this type of hair shedding in their clients. We're hoping you don't lose your hair. I'm Freddie Bell, and you're listening to New Beginnings. 
And today is National Drink Wine Day. It'd be a shame to celebrate only one day a year. Perhaps this day is just a reminder to drink wine. It does have some benefits, after all. Moderate drinkers of wine have lower risk of liver disease, type 2 diabetes, certain types of cancers, heart attack, and stroke. It can also reduce the bad cholesterol, the LDL, and increase the good ones, the HDL. Drinking wine includes other benefits as well. When paired with the right meal, it enhances the flavor spices of fruits and sauces. A glass of wine helps us relax, too. Learning about wine keeps our minds sharp as well. Since the fruits, the regions, and the making of wine have such a complex story, those who delve into it find themselves traveling to learn more. Today is National Drink Wine Day. We'll be right back. In today's world, we really need words of encouragement. Introducing Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell. Let your mind be opened by the wisdom of thought. Let the inspiration of the words feed your mind, body, and spirit. Regardless of the issues you face each day, Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell can help you power through. Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell, a handy reference. Available on Amazon, freddiebell.com, and Barnes & Noble. You're listening to New New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. Thank you so much for listening to New Beginnings. It is appointed listening each weekend right here on your favorite radio station. We've often heard, and we've heard many of us over the years, that eating a breakfast is really important and that, in fact, is the most important part of your day. Well, there are studies now that may underline that point. They say that skipping breakfast might increase your risk for cardiovascular disease. The connection found in a study of 6,500 adults aged 65 to 75 years old was particularly strong for stroke. Almost 60% of the participants had breakfast every day, a quarter on some days, and 16% rarely or never had breakfast. All of the participants were free of heart disease at the start of the study. Over an average of 17 years of follow-up, there were 2,318 deaths, including 619 from cardiovascular diseases. People who never ate breakfast were more likely to be obese and have high cholesterol. The study also controlled for these kinds of diseases and many other behavioral and socioeconomic factors. Compared with those who had breakfast every day, those who skipped the meal had an 87% increased risk for death from any cardiovascular disease, and a 19% increased risk for all causes of death. Breakfast skippers had a 59% increased risk of developing heart disease and more than triple the risk of a stroke. Over the years, many studies have shown that skipping breakfast is related to a higher risk of diabetes, hypertension, and high cholesterol, that according to the experts, and this study suggests that eating breakfast could be a simple way to promote cardiovascular health. So maybe mom did have the right answer that your breakfast is the most important meal of your day. You're listening to New Beginnings, and let's continue now. Let's talk about heart surgery reimagined. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about how robotics assist in surgery. Robotic-assisted heart surgery is a minimally invasive alternative to open-heart surgery. Open-heart surgery is a life-saving procedure for many people, the most common type of heart surgery there is. Robot-assisted surgery is a minimally invasive alternative. There are some advantages and, of course, some disadvantages. The most common type of heart surgery is open-heart surgery. Surgeons open the chest to directly access the heart. 
They make a large incision, roughly six to eight inches long, and they split the breastbone plate. Man, compare that with robot-assisted surgery, which performs exactly the same surgical maneuvers. Surgeons access the heart using thin robotic arms. They make small incisions, roughly two inches, and operate between the ribs and the muscles. So again, compare that to making a six to eight inch incision to one that's roughly only about two inches. I mentioned advantages to robotic assisted surgery. It reduces trauma and pain. There's less blood loss. It lowers the risk of infections, and also the hospital stay is much shorter. And there's a faster return to activity. And because the incision is only about two inches long, the scars are less noticeable. Although complications are rare, there are risks involved with any surgery, including bleeding, stroke, and wound infections. More and more surgeons are performing precise surgical movements from a remote console. With robotic surgery, a high-definition camera provides a close-up view of the heart. They use two robotic arms to translate the movements of the surgeon's hands and wrists with precise range of motion. Also, the surgeon views the procedure through a high-definition 3D monitor, and a second surgeon assists from the operating table, switching tools and assuring safe movement of the robotic arm. So, heart surgery is being reimagined. Robotic surgery is replacing, over time, open-heart surgery in a life-saving procedure. You're listening to New Beginnings. I'm Freddie Bell, and our program continues right now. It goes without saying that it's tax time, and if you're wondering what to do with your tax refund, I might have some ideas for you. If you're eagerly anticipating a tax refund in the coming weeks, you have good reason to be optimistic. The IRS reports that about 77% of tax returns filed last year generated a refund, and the average refund, check this out, was $2,800. And even though what can feel like a gift from the government is really a delayed receipt of your own money, the best you of those funds is not always apparent. This year, the question is even more fraught with many households facing increasing financial pressures from inflation, rising interest rates, and expiring government assistance programs. I've got a roadmap for you today to help you decide what to do. First, save for the next emergency. First, think about your near-term security. That, according to Vince Shorb, he's the CEO of the Las Vegas-based National Financial Educators Council, and it supports financial wellness educators. He says there is a lot of things going on, from COVID to inflation. And he says he wants to make sure people have food on the table and gas to get to work in the event of an emergency like job loss or unexpected expenses. Unload high-interest debt. With interest rates wildly expected to rise this year, credit card and other variable debt would likely become more expensive, which makes using refund money to pay for it a smart move. That according to Mike Biggia, a CFP in San Francisco, he suggests paying off any debt that carries an interest rate of 6% or higher and also focusing on student loans, medical debt and anything else that carries a variable rate. They also say make room for other goals. If you've already have your emergency fund set up and high interest rate debt addressed, Mickia suggests putting the refund cash in high-yield online savings accounts dedicated to different goals, such as vacation or even retirement. When it's not in your checking account, it's harder to get to and gives you a pause before you get the money. 
Increasing your contributions to existing retirement accounts, such as a 401k, is another solid option, Biggie says. And after taking care of emergencies, splurge within limits. After taking care of emergency savings and debt payments, there might not be enough left for the refund to make a huge purchase, such as a car. But Scott Allen Turner, a CFP in Alato, Texas, suggests squeezing in some enjoyable things, too. He says, go out and celebrate and entertain. He says, perhaps even a nice steak dinner, new designer jeans, or concert tickets could be the ticket. I'm Freddie Bell, helping you to come up with some ideas on what to do with your tax refund. And this is New Beginnings. Thanks for listening to New Beginnings, and it happened this week. In 1741, the American Magazine was published for the first time. It was the first magazine in the American colonies. In 1914, the American Society for Composers, Authors, and Publishers, better known as ASCAP, was formed in New York City. The organization was founded to protect copyrighted music. In 1920, the National Negro Baseball League was formed. 1935, Bruno Richard Hoffman was found guilty of first-degree murder in the kidnapping death of aviation. Charles Lindbergh's infant son. He was later executed. In the year 2000, Charles Schultz's final Peanuts trip ran in Sunday newspapers. The day after, the cartoonist died in his sleep in his California home at the age of 77. In 2013, Pope Benedict appeared at his final public mass as leader of the Roman Catholic Church two days after announcing his plans to resign from the papacy. Benedict was greeted with thunderous applause at St. Peter's Basilica for the Ash Wednesday services. In 2016, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Antonin Scalia died in his sleep at the age of 79. He was appointed to the court by President Ronald Reagan in 1986, where he served into his death. He was the first Italian-American justice and the longest-serving justice on the Supreme Court. In 2019, NASA confirmed Mars Opportunity Rover's 15-year mission was over. A sandstorm damaged communications with it. I'm Freddie Bell, and it happened this week. You're listening to New Beginnings on AM 950. And I want to continue right here and give you some information about AARP. There's always more to discover with your AARP membership. You have access to a wide variety of carefully chosen discounts, information, and services, and an advocate for important issues like Medicare and Social Security. Here are just some of the other member benefits from AARP. Insurance, access to auto, dental, home, life, vision, and other quality coverage for your health needs from top companies, including the AARP Dental Insurance Plan, administered by Delta Dental Insurance Company. How about family caregiving? We talked about that earlier. Care guides, simple checklists, support options, and other free resources designed to help you care for your loved ones, all available online through AARP family caregiving sites. And also health and wellness, brain health tips, online tools, savings for eye exams and eyewear and a free annual hearing test by phone. You also can get work and jobs, resources to help you find a second career or part-time work plus access to the AARP job board, a job search tool for workers who are 50 years old and over. I know you love to travel. 
Vacation ideas for every budget and discounts on hotels and car rentals, flights from British Airways, vacation packages, and more. And, of course, finances. You can find online calculators to help you manage your finances, access to money management tips, and more. Explore all of your benefits with the easy-to-use enhanced destination. That's AARP.org forward slash benefits. You can download their free app right now for your digital membership card, daily news, local events, and benefits in your area. This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended to be legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast. You're listening to New Beginnings. New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and now it's time to talk finance with Libel Sternbach. He is Amazon's best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety, and he's also the author of the book entitled Authenticity. Libel, welcome back. Hey, how are you doing today? Unbelievable. Glad to be with you, Libel. And we've got some great things to share with our listeners today, and we want to talk about uh, the market a little bit and day traders. I'm wondering, Libel, if you can jo- Start us off by telling us what exactly is going on in the market, because it seems like we're recovering and then we're not. The gas prices were going down and now they're going back up. What really is going on? So what I the way I like to, to explain this is right now we've got three different opinions of what is happening in the economy and what's happening in the markets. And. They're kind of competing with each other. We have, on the one hand, we have the Federal Reserve who's like, our economy is way too heated up. We've got, you know, too much money in here. We've got, you know, jobs and people are competing. Too many people are competing for the same jobs. We need to, we need to get unemployment to be a more healthy level. Um, and then you've got the stock market on the other side. They're like, no, we want our free money back. We want, you know, we want to have more money so that we can invest in more companies. And, you know, we, we liked all this money that we were making, you know, hand over fist for the last 15 years. Um, we want some of that back. And then you've got the politicians who are like, we just want to get voted back into office. We want to, you know, win votes with, you know, right now, you know, and basically print money. And they're all kind of pointing and yelling at each other and saying, you know, uh, they don't want the Fed to to raise interest rates further. They don't want the money supply to get shrunk. They don't want jobs to go away. And the Federal Reserve is like, well, we got a mandate here to make, maintain the health of our economy and make sure that our co- country as a whole keeps growing. And we can't do that if there's so much money in the system. And so they're kind of, you know, fighting with each other, so to speak, um, you know, at least opinion wise, saying, well, no, 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 it's actually okay what's happening. And until the opinions reach a consensus and we are all in agreement as to what is actually happening in our economy, this is going to keep happening where, you know, the Fed says something. The market reacts to it and, you know, the market either will skyrocket or it'll tank and then Congress will do something and everyone else will react. And we're just going to keep having this back and forth for a while. Now, you might be wondering, right, but label, right? How is it possible that the smartest people on Wall Street, the smartest people who are running our country's economy, how is it that they do not know what's happening, right? How is it that this this back and forth, this this difference of opinion is swaying the market so so much. And the answer to that question is that they do not know, right? Mm. They the Federal Reserve is looking at data and they're trying to read the tea leaves, um, but 
and and Wall Street's looking at the same you know data points and the, they're trying to read the same tea leaves and they're kind of like guessing each other. But the problem is is that our economy is changing, right? We we've talked about this before on the show of how as a result of COVID things are coming back home, right? We during COVID we couldn't we realized we couldn't manufacture you know the the PPE stuff, right? Uh, necessary medical equipment. We did, we lost a lot of essential manufacturing capabilities. And right as we're recovering from COVID, what happens, right? Uh, Russia invades Ukraine, right? And reminds the world that for all the freedoms that we take for granted, for all of this global marketplace that we take for granted, that you can just, you know, manufacture things in China and ship them around the world, that that is always at risk, right? That this Western lifestyle, this consumer lifestyle, this globalization, this interconnectedness is really, it, it really rests on, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, um, you know, a house of cards that all it takes is, you know, one bad politician. All it takes is, you know, someone to say, I no longer want this. And all of a sudden it starts coming unraveled. Right. And that's what we saw with COVID. That's what we're seeing with Russia and Ukraine. And the threat, the the concern that everyone has is what happens if China invades Taiwan? What happens if China says we're no longer shipping goods around the world? Hmm. Right. And so every Western nation looked at the COVID and were like, we cannot allow this to happen again. From a national security standpoint, we need to bring essential manufacturing back home. Right. We cannot rely on a country three quarters of the way around the world, right, uh, around the world who is under constant threat from a much larger military force. And I'm talking about Taiwan here. Right. Who manufactures the vast majority of essential chips for that are used in military appliances, that are using computers that are used in everything. And they're under constant threat from China, who China doesn't even recognize them as a separate country. Right. And if China invaded Taiwan, it would be game over for a lot of the essential things that we have. And so whether it's PPE or it is, you know, manufacturing complex electronics or military hardware, we are bringing a lot of essential manufacturing back home. And what you're seeing is, is unemployment. Yeah. The tech sector. Yeah. Google, you know, fired 12,000 people. Facebook fired, you know, lots of people, right? They, they're shedding all of these tech jobs. Yet unemployment is still at the lowest numbers since 1969, right? And it's all as a result of the fact that the jobs are going somewhere, right? There are people are still, you know, getting jobs because there are new industries coming about. There are new things happening and there is a new world order that is taking shape and people are still trying to figure out what that means. And so until people know what that means and what that looks like and they can predict it and they can put it into algorithms, we're going to keep having this back and forth in the market. Market's going to go up. The Fed's going to say something is going to tank. A report's going to come out and the market's going to go up. And then another report's going to come out and it's going to tank, right? And, you know, whether the market, you know, continues the bull run that we've had for the last 14 years or we move sideways for a few years, you know, there, there's no telling what's going to happen. But until, until the powers that be recognize what's happening in the country, until we have data points that can really articulate there's going to be this constant seesaw. Interesting. There was recently an interest rate increase indicating that perhaps uh, we're moving in the right direction. So is the economy shrinking level or is it growing? 
So this, this is what I think I think the mistake is, right? I think that the Fed is looking at the economy and they're saying the data doesn't make sense, right? We have we have, you know, uh jobs are still being created, yet manufacturing numbers are like weird and we've got, you know, and but inflation's coming down. And so they're trying to, you know, work with the levers that they have. And the results aren't being what they want it to be. So they're, they're trying to, they're saying, okay, we need to like taper back a little bit where we're not going to be as aggressive in terms of trying to get money out of the system. But at the same time, right, they want the economy to shrink overall, right? They, they want there to be more employer, employees available than there are jobs. And that's not what we have today. And so I think that the economy is shifting. I don't think it's shrinking or growing. I think it's shifting. And what we're going to see is that the winners for the last, you know, 10 years are going to be the losers for the next 10 years. And that there's going to be new sectors. There's going to be new companies. There's going to be new jobs that are going to take off and that are going to replace what have been the leaders for the last 10 years. Everyone, we're talking with Lyville Sternbach and we're talking about this economy and I, I know that some of our listeners were planning on retiring this year. We've spoken directly to them. Do you think the market label is going to recover back to where it was before this correction? That is a very hard question to answer. It, you know, when people asked me that six months ago, when people asked me that 18 months ago, right? When people asked me that at the beginning of all this, what I told them was, that statistically speaking, when we go back to, you know, 1900 and we look at all the corrections that happened in the market, right? On average, a correction of 10%, a correction of 20%, it happens with fear, fear regularity, right? We can predict it to a certain extent. And the amount of time it takes to recover is fairly predictable, right? And usually I would say, you know, recovery would be about 18 months, right? You got, you know, about 18 months from, you know, when we hit bottom until we're fully recovered. Um, so that being said, right, you know, last year things started to tank. That would mean, you know, this summer things would be back. However, what we have happening right now is it's a little bit historic in that Everything, every crisis that has happened before, every market correction that has happened before has been, you know, as a result of some kind of, you know, um, uh, microeconomic thing happening, right? So it's, you know, you know, this company went bad, this, you know, sector went bad, you know, there was something that was happening was part of the normal market cycle. What we have right now is something more like what we had in the 80s. Right. Or what we had in the 90s, where you had all this manufacturing moving around. Right. And when manufacturing left the U.S. in the 80s, right, it didn't come back. Right. It wasn't something that just recovered. We I think we're going through something similar right now. And I think that until inflation, everyone knows where inflation is going to land and whether it's something that's with us for, you know, the next few years that we have high inflation for a while or if the Fed can actually tame it, I think until there's some clarity on that, the market's going to move sideways. I think that we're going to continue to have where, you know, the market priced in that inflation was going to bring down the value of these companies and some of these companies are going to go bust, right? So we went down 20%. And then I don't think it's going to recover for a while, right? I think that we may slowly return to levels, you know, of 18 months ago. How long that will take? 
who knows, right? It, it could be this summer. Uh, well, it's definitely not going to be this summer. It could be the end of this year, or it could be two years from now. Uh, and it is very possible, right, that it could take a few years before we're back in an upward trajectory. Briefly, does that mean that retirees who are planning to go out this year need to wait another two to three years? So if you were to use a, you know, the strategies, the investment strategies that have held up for the last 15 years, the last 20 years, you know, namely, you know, buy and hold where you, you buy a low index of fund, right? And you just hold on to it for dear life. Um, and you take your 4% and you got your 60, 40. If you do that and that's your retirement plan, then you are going to have to delay retirement, right? Because you got to wait for your money to recover. But having said that, I think that you should educate yourself to the fact that there are different market cycles and there are different investment strategies for different cycles. Um, something that, you know, I just saw in the Wall Street Journal, and there's a whole bunch of articles about it, that there are these, you know, ETFs, uh, ETFs that have these strategies for sideways markets and that they've, you know, uh, they've really exploded in the last year. Because, you know, last year the market was moving down, then it's moving sideways, and people are trying to shift how they're investing, right? And if you keep using the investment strategies of a bull market, which is buy and hold, in a sideways market or in a down market, you are going to wait a long time until you can actually recover, until you can actually retire. So the answer to that question is, if you keep doing the same thing that you've been doing up until now, then yeah, you're probably going to have to delay your retirement. But if you shift and you start putting and you start, you know, using strategies that are designed for a market that is moving, then I think you can retire and you may be able to actually retire with more money because you know what volatility means? Volatility means opportunity, right? It has, there's opportunity to, to get in on, you know, uh, sectors that are going to be taking off. It gives you an opportunity to get out of sectors that are going down. You don't have to, you don't have to ride the roller coaster. You can surf the roller coaster and make out like a bandit. I bet you have a lot of information at yields4u.com. Yep. We got on our website. We got a lot of information. I've got classes coming up. Um, you know, check out on our website for the upcoming classes that we're going to be talking about, you know, these strategies and things that you can do in your retirement and how to really protect yourself and build the life of your dreams. He's Label Sternbach. This has really been insightful. Join us next week as we dive into the question that's really burning in our minds. What does the new Secure 2.0 Act mean for Social Security? Libel's website is yields for you. That's yieldsforyou.com. Yields, the number four, the letter U.com. I'm Freddie Bell, and more New Beginnings is straight ahead. It's time now for a little fun this week on New Beginnings. Goats are known for their ability to eat a wide variety of vegetation, including spiky and poisonous plants. This is a particularly good time of year for goats as Christmas trees are being recycled and goats find them delicious. The Philly Goat Project will accept donated Christmas trees for $20 each to feed the goats as the pine needles are rich in vitamins and minerals that benefit their health. As of January, 600 trees have been donated, providing enough food to last the goats through spring. It's wacky, but it's true. In Wales, a man was found staggering down the street late at night, covered from head to toe in flour and ketchup. Police asked him what had happened, but he was so drunk he couldn't tell them. What is this? 
It cleans, warms, and humidifies more than 500 cubic feet of air each day. It's your nose. And last year's box office was down 35% compared to pre-pandemic averages, and the reluctance to return for moviegoers 40 and over, who brought 40% of movie tickets in 2019, are one reason why the recovery is going slowly. As of December, 72% of Gen X respondents and 85% of baby boomer respondents had not been to a movie theater in the past month. Which is significantly higher compared to 55% of millennials. Just a little fun this week on New Beginnings. Here's your host, Freddie Bell, as he welcomes career expert Joe McKenzie, founder of Ripple Connects. Joe McKenzie, how can we avoid the myopic career search? We can avoid the myopic job search by looking at your career, looking back, look at your marketable skills and your pattern of achievement, and bring those forward to see what's marketable today. And that will help you avoid the unimaginative, narrow-minded, short-sighted approach to a job search. Bring those those attributes, those accomplishments forward, and I'm confident that you're going to find new opportunities out there that you may have never thought of. For more information, how can we reach Joe McKenzie of Ripple Connects? You can contact me directly at seven six three four three eight one six two one seven six three four three eight one six two one. Your network plus my techniques equals more success for you. As new beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program, where we introduce the senior minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress. Look at where we've been as we started that first week, looking at King as. A man with a dream, with a dream. He had a dream for humanity, for the people close to him, in his black community, in the South, in his Southern Baptist tradition, the tradition I myself came out of. And he realized, and he encouraged the people, we cannot walk alone. We cannot walk alone, and though we often think of him as a leader in the civil rights movement, as a leader in social justice, to me his dream was even larger than that, because he encouraged people to follow the example of Jesus Christ, to do unto others as you would have them do to you. Or he would speak of the greatest commandment, according to Jesus: "Love your God, and love your neighbor as yourself." He taught us this connection that we all have as God's children, as God's family, whatever our social background may be, whatever our place in the world. Dr. King strove to bring people together for a purpose, 
pursue a dream. Then we turned to Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, and I gave him the title, I Have a Prayer. And I reminded you of the famous quotation, if you're a student of Unity, you have to learn it at some point along the way. As a minister in training, I certainly had to know Charles' story, his awakening, his turning point. Well, I reminded you he was first amazed and inspired by his own wife's healing. That's why we call Myrtle Fillmore the mother of unity, because she began the process. And Charles saw such a change in her, in her health, in her purpose, in her focus. He said, i got to figure this out. But he described himself as a 19th century businessman and He was going to look at the spiritual thing with some good logic. And so he began by studying traditions of spirituality throughout the ages, around the world. It was really quite remarkable for a man in Kansas City, in the heartland, in the late 19th century, to have been exposed to so much of the spiritual wealth of humanity through time and around the globe. But he heard a lot of different ideas about God, about God's will for humanity, about our place in creation. And so he said, in all this babble, all these teachers and ministers and gurus, and all this babble, I will go to headquarters. Haven't you heard people say, I'm going straight to the boss? But using his logical mind, he said, if this God they all talk about is spirit, and every human being, including himself, was a living spirit, a creation of God, then somehow we can communicate or this whole religion thing is a fraud. But he didn't just expound on it. He did something about it. He said, I am willing every day to devote time to sitting in the silence, being willing to connect to this creative spirit, And he said he he did it for a long time. I believe it was a couple of years before he felt any result, any connection. And then he claimed to feel a tingling in his body, almost like electrical current. And he began to be inspired by great spiritual ideas. Or he began to understand the words that Jesus offered. What did it mean to say the Father and I are one? It meant the connection he was beginning to experience. He went on, he and his wife, developing the movement. They said people first in their neighborhood in Kansas City and then later throughout the 
cities started gathering around in prayer circles. They taught the power of prayer because it was the essence of making this the individual with the infinite, with the source of all. As people gathered around them, they eventually realized they needed a home, a physical building to be constructed for their work. Why, that's just like Unity South 30 years ago, putting this building up so that we would have a home in which to gather, in which to learn together, pray together, and have fun together. Don and Sue will see to that after the service. I know they've got great goodies downstairs, so we can have some fun and enjoy one another's company. But all that built up around the Fillmore's, when they put up that first building in 1906, Charles invited everyone, everyone who chose to write an affirmation, a statement of truth for this new building, this new home being constructed for unity, invited everyone to submit their name and their positive statement. He had 19,000 of those that were sealed in the cornerstone there in Kansas City. By that time in 1906, the prayer ministry still existing today. We call it Silent Unity. It is an organization willing to pray with people 24-7 all over the globe. Well, more than 100 years ago, they entered that new building. And you know what? there were already 10,000 people signed up as members of Silent Unity. The numbers just grew by leaps and bounds because it wasn't that Charles had magic or was a wizard, but somehow he communicated to people the power of making this connection. And although he spoke of turning within, Going within, doing your inner work. He also taught that as you did that inner development, it opened you to see others as your neighbor. You were connected to other people because you could not realize this presence and power within yourself and not know that it was in everyone. And so after one of their early meditation groups, Charles came out of the meditation and said, Unity, unity is the name of our work. Why did he choose that word? Well, as he described it, he said, our whole work is about seeing the unity of spirit in all things. You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the Senior Minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at unitysouth.org. And here are today's words to the wise. Kindness always pays. Today's words to the wise. Kindness always pays. You can learn more by visiting my website, freddybell.com. 
That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week.